Christ our life, contemplating glorious themes set forth in Paul's epistle to the Colossians. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, so begins the third chapter of Colossians. At first glance, you, like I, might glance over these opening words, racing into the conclusion of this conditional statement. In the rush of the internet age, we are trained to boil a lot of information down to what we need to know, to skim words, to reach the what now without working to first understand the why. So let us stay with these words for a moment longer and dive deep into their riches, soaking up all that we can while we linger. And perhaps we shall find that it serves us well when we explore the other parts of the epistle. Immediately, we can deduce several pivotal truths. Firstly, we have been raised up. Which persons have need of being raised? Is it not those who are dead? Indeed it is. Thus, secondarily, we can be assured that we have been dead. Furthermore, the prepositional phrase with Christ follows. In this, a third truth presents itself. Christ also died and his rising from the dead is causally connected to ours. With these premises set before us, it would behoove us to venture further into the passage, bearing in mind three particular queries. One, what is the nature of this death of which we are speaking? Two, how have we come to be raised with Christ? Three, if we have been raised up with Christ out of this death, What is our new and present state? And four, what are the defining marks which distinguish it from our old state? We were dead. But you say, my dear sisters, how can that be? I look down and there are my arms and legs in the flesh moving. I reach up and touch two fingers to my neck and there my pulse is vigorous and steady as ever. I feel my chest rising and falling to the rhythm of my breath. With all this proof of life within me, how could I be dead? Well, if we turn to the chapter previous in our text, it is plainly written, you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So this death is a spiritual death wrought by transgression, by sin, It is a state of disobedience and of evil that, if continued without repentance, ultimately incurs the wrath of God for eternity. If there ever was a truth that is terrifying through and through, here it is. This is the end that each and every one of us deserve. Though it causes us to tremble with fear, it is a just and righteous retribution for rebellion against God Most High. While still in this state, we had no standing on which to make a plea for mercy. We had no goodness which could merit even an ounce of favor from him who judges righteously. We had no hope. We were as condemned outlaws awaiting our doom at the gallows, with no way to escape it. In fact, We had not even the capacity to desire an escape, 
because we loved the sin that condemned us and were oblivious to our own impending destruction. Faced with this awful charge, the light of the gospel of Christ, summarized in chapters 2, verses 13 through 14, shines all glorious in its splendor. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. How have we gone from being condemned with no hope to being raised with Christ, alive together with him, forgiven of our transgressions and freed from our debt? Christ took upon himself our sin. And what qualifies Jesus Christ to reconcile all things to God through the blood of his cross? He is the very image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created. He is mighty to reconcile us in his fleshly body through death because he is the promised, perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb of God in whom the fullness of God dwells bodily. He perfectly lived according to God's law, bore our sin upon the cross, and there died a sinner's death, drinking the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs for all who are his. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. Now, therefore, those who have been chosen of God, who have received Christ Jesus as Lord, are buried with him in baptism and raised with him and raised up with him through faith in the working of God. Scripture uses the language of being dead to something and raised to something. We who are chosen of God are now no longer dead in our sin, but dead to sin. We have previously established that we have been raised in Christ, with Christ. What then are we raised to? We are raised to Christ. He made us alive and he himself is our life. That is, we have new life that is hidden with Christ in God. So our life is no longer found in the things of this world, which are riddled with sin and death. Rather, our life is hidden with Christ, consisting of lasting things, of eternal things, of things which are above, of things which, as of now, are unseen. This juxtaposition is what defines our present state. Though we do now, in truth, have new life in Christ, sin continues to dwell in our members, not to be ultimately done away with until Christ comes again, already and not yet. Thus, it is imperative that we are at war with our flesh, denying ourselves in all things contrary to God's law and eagerly pressing on to be conformed into his likeness. Nevertheless, it will not always be so. We can take heart knowing that we will be revealed as adopted sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ when he comes again in glory, and we shall behold him with our very eyes. Sin and death will be forever extinguished 
in our desires, wills, thoughts, and bodies will be made fully and finally perfect. Oh, what glorious words, what precious hope. This brings us to our marching orders. Having considered the awful nature of our deadness and sin, Christ's glorious work of redemption, our death to sin and resurrection to new life in him, and our present already and not yet state, we have but one thing left to consider. What does it look like practically for us to live as blood-bought, redeemed Christians in the remainder of our earthly but redeemed life? What habits, practices, thoughts, and pursuits are we to put on? And which ones, which we formerly walked in, are we to put to death? Paul explains in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, that we ought to be dead to, or put to death, all immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, lies, and any other evil practice which had its place in our old self. He also gives us caution against any unfruitful religiosity involving many outward and trivial decrees, which have the appearance of wisdom, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They are merely pharisaical regulations which lie on the surface, but do not penetrate to our affections and motivations, to our inward parts. With regards to what we are to put on, he instructs us in three different categories, what our new life in Christ should look like in relation to God, in relation to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and in relation to the outside world. As to the first category, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, striving in everything to please him. We are to seek and set our minds on heavenly things where Christ is and mine the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in him. Our aim should be to see our knowledge of God and his will increased within us until the day when we are presented complete in Christ. We must strive to be disciplined, stable, and steadfast in our faith toward God, not straying from the hope of the gospel that we have heard and been taught, but being firmly rooted and built up in Christ, who is our head. And in all things, we are exhorted to overflow with gratitude, joyously giving thanks to the Father, even in sufferings. As to our dealings with our fellow believers in general, we are to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forbearing, ready to forgive as we have been forgiven, loving, unified, at peace with one another in Christ, and always thankful. We are to be saturated with the word of Christ in our conversations as we teach and admonish one another and in our singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with one another. Moreover, all that we do is to be done with the devotion to prayer for one another and thanksgiving in our Lord's name. And in specific, Paul points us to the familiar spheres of authority that God has written into his creation and bids us to abide by them because this is fitting and pleasing to him. 
Thus, God has ordained that wives are to be subject to their husbands, children are to obey their parents, and slaves their masters. And in turn, husbands ought to love their wives and refrain from embitterment toward them. Fathers are to be careful not to exasperate their children, and masters are to be fair and just toward their slaves. And finally, walking in wisdom, readiness, and grace is essential in our conduct to those to those who are unbelievers. We need to be wise so that as God gives us opportunities to testify to his marvelous gospel, we do not miss them or squander them. We need to study that we may be quick and ready with a fit and timely response to each person that we may come across in our daily lives. And we must speak always with grace as though seasoned with salt that our words might beautifully adorn the gospel which we testify to and not bring dishonor to it. As we conclude our time in contemplation of this wondrous epistle today, I'd like to offer a few thoughts that I pray will encourage your soul, my dear sister. As Christians, we do long for the exhortations we have been given above to be true of us. We earnestly desire, as Paul also did, to be fully and forever free of this body of death and our sinful habits and tendencies. And it is easy to become discouraged when we peer into our own souls and examine the way we have been living and see a little bit of fruit, but far more failure. But let your heart be uplifted with this truth. We strive as ones who have already been made holy, who are already beloved of God, and reconciled with him. We can battle against our flesh, putting to death wickedness that resides in us day by day, and we can put on righteousness, being sanctified in all areas of life. How? Because we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Because Christ is our life, and it is by his sinless life that we are justified before God and his power and might, that we shall be presented to him holy and blameless at the last day, not our own. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.